Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. And you can reach us at our website, www.nkofcoc.com. And now that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer. I'm one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. And I'm Ross Oldenkamp. Okay, at this particular time, we're turning our attention, having in the last podcast discussed the baptism of Jesus and the temptation of Jesus. We're turning our attention now to a really interesting passage of Scripture, and I've placed it here chronologically, even though uh, it probably doesn't fit here as chronologically as some of the other things. But we're going to be talking about John identifying Jesus as the Christ, and we find that in John chapter 1, verses 19 through 34. Ross? Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you were not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit." And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. What a powerful passage of Scripture that is. After going into the wilderness and being tempted of the devil, Jesus returned to the scene, I believe, of John's ministry and to the region around Jordan where John was baptizing. There is a natural linking and an important linking of the Lord's beginning ministry with John's shall we say, fading ministry. When John saw the Lord, he declared, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. There's so much included in that brief testimonial. First, by referring to Jesus 
as the Lamb. Well, John immediately introduced to his Jewish hearers the idea of sacrifice. Lambs were commonly used for sin offerings. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 32. A lamb was killed for the celebration of the Passover feast. By using that term, John identified Jesus as the sacrificial hope of the Old Testament, but not just the hope, but the actual sacrifice itself. This sacrifice would not be for the Jews only, but for the sins of the whole world. Yeah, uh, Greg, something about the sinlessness of him would have, I think, come out as well. If he is the lamb, you know, from a Jewish perspective, that should have recalled to their mind the need for the lamb to be spotless or blameless, without reproach. This is the best. Uh, certainly explains why John would talk about how unworthy he was in comparison. Uh, in addition to that, I think it also declared, you know, since Jesus is the Word and he's delivering messages, this is a word of God's faithfulness to provide the Lamb. Do you remember back in Genesis 22 where Abraham said that the Lord will provide for himself a Lamb? And this is Jesus, the one whom the Lord has provided. That brings to mind Hebrews chapter 10, verses 4 through 10, which and I'll be reading from the King James Version, says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst thou pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. By saying that the Lamb, Jesus, would take away the sins of the world. I think John was speaking of the expiatory effect and the vicarious nature of the sacrifice of Jesus. It should also be mentioned that Jesus had been depicted as a lamb in prophecy. Isaiah 53 and verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. I, I think it's also uh, just interesting that um, in our previous episode we talked about the temptation of Jesus, and that in one of those temptations Satan offered... Uh, him the whole, the whole world there and then the the kingdoms of the world here and said no and you only Jesus resisted and you only worship God and we see the again the part of that worshiping of listen of following God is listening and doing what he says and understanding what he was tempted with but that what he actually has come to do is be the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world to go through that death to go through living as a human and what he went through for our sakes and the teachings that he did it's just an uh, amazing thing that we see um, and even something that, that John knew about in verse 29 
John continued with his testimony, saying that Jesus was the one about whom he had spoken. Though he came after John, Jesus was to be preferred before him, for he was before him. That's true in the absolute sense when you think about it, because Jesus was eternal. John further rehearsed what had happened at the baptism of the Lord. He knew what his mission was. He was to prepare the way for the one to come, the Messiah. God had given John his mission and had given him the way to identify the Messiah when he said, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptized with the Holy Spirit. When John came to be, or when Jesus rather, came to be baptized of John, I think we can say rightfully that John knew of him. He was his kinsman, and John could very well have known the quality and character of Jesus. But what he did not know, if I'm understanding it correctly, until the Spirit descended, was that Jesus was the Messiah. That was indicated, as God had said, when the Spirit descended upon him. You know, when you speak of them hearing that Jesus was a sacrifice I just think we really need to let that sink in. That basically he was directing their attention to a man who was on death row. This man was marked for death. And I mean, that that would be a living nightmare for any one of us to realize that we were convicted and were on death row. You know, they were going to execute us. It really is... Uh, encouraging for any of us who are going through difficult times or want to question the fairness of life. Jesus, he hasn't done any evil, uh, nothing worthy of death, and yet his purpose is to to come and to die. That, you know, if you want to talk about something that's not fair in life, that's it. Let's go ahead and look at the first disciples. And I will read some of it, but not all of it. It's found in First John or in John chapter one, verses thirty-five through fifty-one. But we'll go ahead and read just a few of the of the passages related to it. And again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, "Behold, the Lamb of God." The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 
And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. I might as well go ahead and finish it up. (laughs) Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The very next day, if I'm understanding it correctly, after John's testimony concerning Jesus, the first of the disciples began to come to him. Two of John's disciples, Andrew and John, were standing with the Baptist and heard him testify of Jesus. Again, the words are stated, Behold the Lamb of God. This time he is writing as an eyewitness. There is no other account in the gospel of his call to discipleship. Several other times in the gospel, John withholds his name. So it's clear that we're talking about John making the identification. The immediate nature, and this this is what I think is the most important aspect of this account for us and for all of people who read this particular passage. The immediate nature of their response is striking. They heard and they followed. However, there must have been awe and reverence and they were naturally hesitant to address Jesus, so they followed him from behind. It was Jesus who opened up the way for them by asking, what do you seek? They responded by asking him where he lived, and then comes what is really the challenge of Christianity. Jesus said, come and see. What we're seeing here, I believe, is the first lesson in evangelism that we find in the life of Christ and how one goes about it. Here's the question, or the the invitation. Come and see. It was four in the afternoon, according to the Jewish method of keeping time, when Jesus gave his invitation to those two men, and they were able to spend the day with him. But Andrew, before he did anything else, gives us again the first example of the passionate evangelism that should characterize all disciples of Jesus. Notice what it says. He first found his own brother Simon, and said unto him, We have found the Messiah. Andrew brought his brother, Simon Peter, to Jesus. And our Lord saw in Peter what he could be, and traced the course of his future with the words, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas. Cephas means stone. More specifically, it means a rock detached from the strata or bedrock on which the earth rests. The next day, 
as Jesus began to make his way to Galilee, he came across Philip. To Philip was offered the simple and powerful invitation, follow me. Philip was of the same city, Bethsaida, as were Simon and Andrew. These passages tell us Philip found Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And essentially he said exactly the same thing. Come and see. That's kind of the point when you get to think about it. When we're talking about the making of disciples, the question that we might offer unto them or the invitation that we might offer unto them is we have seen Jesus through our study of his word. We believe in him. We understand the responsibilities that place upon us. So come and see because that's what you need to do. You need to come and see. I love I love this attitude when I, you know, if I teach someone the gospel and they, they receive it and are saved, I love to see them come up out of the water thinking about others, talking about who they want to share this with. And sometimes it happens that, that they're, they actually can set up at a good number of classes, and that's the way it ought to be. Uh, just like what Paul told Titus in Second, uh, I'm sorry, Timothy in Second Timothy two verse two, the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We're saved so that we can save others in return. As Jesus uh, was talking to these individuals. And they, in turn, went out to find others to come and hear and see Jesus. Just as Andrew had gone to share the good news, so did Philip. And he makes the point that Moses wrote that they had found the one of whom Moses and the prophets had written. Well, Moses wrote of Jesus as the prophet. And David, I think, most frequently wrote of Jesus as the Lord. Isaiah wrote of Jesus as the son of a virgin and the suffering servant. Jeremiah beautifully wrote of him as the branch. And Ezekiel prophetically called him a shepherd. And other prophets still referred to him in different ways. Perhaps Philip didn't understand the significance of his statement to Nathaniel in its entirety. But what a profound statement it was. In other words, this is the one, this is the individual that we have been waiting for. This is the one that we have looking for, we have been looking for, and he's here. We've found him. No wonder there's this air of excitement about it. That's a great, great insightful comment from the prophets there. You know, the early question, back in verse 38, what do you seek? Uh, it would have... It would have been a much more appropriate answer for them to, to give the same answer that Nathaniel gave. Well, we're seeking the Son of God. We're seeking the King of Israel. Instead, they say, where are you staying? Which is kind of laughable to me. It's almost like a dodge uh, of the question. It's almost as if they're not exactly sure. They see in Jesus reason to follow, but they're not exactly sure yet. This is the beginning of their faith. 
they, they will come to understand more fully, but it really does pose the question to all of us. Why are you following Jesus if you are? What are you seeking from him? There's a lot of people who follow him for many wrong reasons, but really we need to follow him because he is the branch, because he is the great shepherd of our soul, because he is the suffering servant, the king of the Jews. Yeah, I think we see the the motivation, at least originally, on why um, Andrew and, and believed to be John, uh, John the Apostle, go to follow Jesus is the, the example and trust they had in John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, again, says, Behold the Lamb of God. And then they, they hear what he said and they go and follow. And I think that's an amazing thing to the example. Again, we, we see t- in multiple instances in this section of scripture the example of come and see and look at who this is this is the lamb of god um, look at who we have found and it's the example of of looking to be able to share the greatest thing you can share which is jesus and the life giving not physical life eternal life gift that we have in jesus and being able to share that and they don't understand that at this point but certainly we, again, having all the scripture, are able to understand that now. I want to look specifically at Nathaniel's initial reaction because I think it's interesting. He didn't immediately birth forth with uh, rejoicing that the Messiah had been found. He was a Galilean. That's uh, John 21 and verse 2. And well aware of the reputation of Nazareth. Galilee in general like the culture of Judah, had a crude dialect for speech and a large population of Gentiles. It was viewed disparagingly, and I think Nazareth even more so. But again, there is that invitation, come and see. And then we have our Lord's words to Nathanael, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Some see a reference to Jacob in this. Jacob was a man full of all subtlety and guile in his earlier years, but his experience at Penuel in Genesis chapter 32 changed his nature and his name. He became Israel, the spiritual father of the Israelites. Nathaniel's surprise shows that Jesus could not have naturally known who he was, but Jesus had seen Nathaniel when he was all alone. And that miraculous ability caused faith in Nathaniel. He regarded the revelation of his character and the whereabouts as a great thing. Yet Jesus assured him that he was destined to far greater things. You know, uh, often we we recite a practice of, in the, God's plan of salvation as beginning with hearing the word. And the invitation to come and see is really your first opportunity either to accept or reject what God has to offer. It's a decision. Am I going to uh, just give this a chance? Just hear it out. Am I going to consider it or am I immediately going to shut the door on the possibility of learning something new that I, that I might not know and need to know? I think in Jesus' words of, of verse 51, there's an obvious reference to the dream of a ladder Jacob had in Genesis 27. Here, because the angels are said to be ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, the idea seems to be that of Jesus 
as the mediator between heaven and earth. This takes, does, does either of you guys have anything else to say about what we've talked about up to this point? Now, one thing here, there's a point about Nathaniel's uh, statement, uh, you are the son, after Jesus said, uh, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And immediately he's saying, oh, you're the king, you're the son of God. And Jesus says, do you believe for, for this? You know, you're going to see greater things. I think there's a point to be made here about, um, you know, some might look at this and say, well, that's that just shows uh, kind of a, a, a naivete on his part, just kind of a, a weak-mindedness, you know, and, and some people really pride themselves on how critical they are and just how, how slow to accept something as truth, almost like it's a badge of honor to be skeptical and disbelieving. Jesus does not scold Nathaniel for his, his readiness, his willingness to believe, but he does say there's much greater, much greater proofs than this, and you're going to see them soon. Well, we've got the next thing that we need to talk about concerning the life of our Lord Jesus is the first miracle, at least Jesus' first public miracle. And that's going to take us a little more time than we have left. So let's wrap up this one today and encourage you all to continue to listen. If you're enjoying this study, let us know. And also let your friends know that they might listen to it as well. I mean, after all, we're talking about the life of Christ, and it truly is the greatest story ever told. Thanks for listening.